Uh, good morning, guys. Y'all alive? Y'all doing good? Okay. All right. Uh, that was a lot of stuff, a lot of cool things you guys are doing. Thanks to everyone who is um, serving and coming up with ideas. It's one of my convictions that um, some of the best ideas for the church and the vision uh, uh, moving forward will come from the congregation itself, uh, that God inspires, God gifts, God uses you guys. So happy to have different things going on uh, and different things that God's laid on your heart. Let me know if there are ideas you have. You'd love to see uh, ministries or things happen. Uh, my name is Nick. If I haven't met you, I am the lead pastor here, one of the elders. I'm going to be bringing God's word to you. Uh, you can open up your Bibles to Luke 6. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and... Uh, One of the ushers will get one to you. And if you don't own a Bible, let me say this, like I always say, please keep it. Uh, It's yours. We want we don't we want the Bible to be open, not just on Sundays, but on uh, every day of the week. Um, So I think you guys are good. And we're in Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter six. I'm going to read verses 27 to 36. Once I uh, hear the pages stop turning. Those of you who haven't gotten out to try to see wildflowers, uh, this might be the last weekend for it, right? It's getting hot. I'm going to try to uh, get out there on uh, on Monday, tomorrow, my day off with my girls. If you have any suggestions where uh, there might be some uh, wildflowers around here, let me know, okay? I like to hike, and I uh, like to see what, what God paints on the hillside. Um, okay, Luke 6. Chapter 27, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 27, read down to the verse 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that? To you, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Would you guys pray with me? God, let it be, let it be said here at the outset. No one is here this morning to hear from me. No one should find any value in Nick Weber's words outside of of your word. God, we are here this morning desperate to hear from you. 
And we admit that we get tangled up inside, that we uh, we're broken. We're disoriented. We need to be put back together. And when the surgeon comes in a text like this, it feels it feels backwards. It feels hard. It feels too much. God, but you're coming to heal, even in your call for us to love our enemies and lay our lives down. Lord, I pray that you would heal our broken hearts. I pray that in this room, if there are grudges and bitterness and 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 uh, years of unreconciled wounds and, and pains, God, that you would somehow this morning, by your Spirit, through your Word, you would you would bring some of these things to the surface, and 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 by a work of your grace, you would heal. You would repair the hearts of your people and we would move out and reconcile with others and love our enemies. And be just the kind of crazy people. That draws other people to you. The enemy loving God. So we know that your grace is abundant. We know that your hands are open to your children. We know that you do not turn back from any who would ask. And so God, here we are. Asking that you would come, exalt your son, exalt yourself, exalt the work of your grace, the glory of your grace in our midst here for the good of your people. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Okay, so let me um, begin just by using the words that that Jesus uses here in verses 27 and 28 to, to ask a question. Have you ever been hated? Have you ever been cursed? Have you ever been abused? He's saying, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Well, have you ever been hated, cursed, or abused? As painful as um, this exercise might be for some of us, what I want you to do here at the beginning, and this is risky perhaps, but what I want for us to do as a church here at the beginning of this message is to just think of one person that might fit some of those categories in your life. Just one person that uh, has hurt you deeply. One person that when you look back, maybe years ago, might have been just last night, But somebody in your life, it's a fallen world. I know they have hurt you deeply. The kind of person that when you think about them, your, your, your heart starts to beat a little faster. Your palms start to sweat a little more. Your blood pressure starts to rise and perhaps even your eyes start to water. Because I know some of us have been, have been through some rough stuff. Some of us have been abused. Some of us have been hated and cursed. On whatever degree it is, I know there's pain there. And I want you to think about one person in particular. Could be your dad. Could be your mom. Your spouse. Your ex-spouse. One of your kids. Your old boss. Your old pastor. God forbid your current pastor. Some kid on the playground in middle school. Whatever it is. I want you to think about one person that's hurt you deeply. 
pain makes profound impressions. Um, for most things in life, at least if you're like me, you, you need reminders for them. Okay. I have kind of like a whole system of remind of ways of reminding myself so I don't forget stuff. Right. That's why we take notes during lectures or meetings is because, hey, listen, next week, I'm going to have no idea what we talked about if I don't take notes. That's why we set up reminders on our calendars, right, for uh, birthdays and anniversaries and events and meetings, stuff that we've, we've, we've signed on for. That's why we put sticky notes, you know, around our desk, reminding us of critical tasks. We need help remembering aspects of, of what we're needing to do or certain aspects of our lives. But let me tell you something. Pain makes profound impressions. What I mean by that is I don't think you need any help doing what I'm calling you to do here this morning, dredging up some, you know, wound from your past. My sense is that most often pain is just right there. We can't forget it even though we try to. (laughs) You try to shove that stuff down and it just keeps coming back out. I don't need sticky notes to remember the wounds that people have inflicted upon me. I live with them every day. Pain makes profound impressions. And so I imagine that even as I'm asking you to think about this him or her, whoever it is that hurt you, some of the stuff is just replaying even right now in high definition in your mind. You can see it. You can hear it. You remember what she said to you, even the tone of her voice as her words cut into your soul and left you scarred even to this day. You have any of those words been spoken to you? I do. You remember, God forbid this is true, but you remember how it stung when the back of his hand connected with your face. You still smell the whiskey on his breath. Another drunken rage, just another night of the week in your house. You remember the sound of your peers mocking laughter as the the little guy you thought was your best friend just exposed your secrets. You have those junior high moments? I did. You don't need any help remembering these things. But I did want to bring these things to the front of your mind for a moment because I want you to hear the call of Jesus in light of that. Verse uh, 27, Jesus calls us to do this with those kinds of people. Love your enemies. We're just not about theory in this church. Just doing a good Bible study. By the the time this message is done, I'm going to call us to application. I'm going to call us to obedience. Love your enemies. Does that sound crazy to you? Does that sound impossible to you? It should. If it doesn't, then we don't grasp the full breadth of what Jesus is calling us to in that text. It sounds crazy. It sounds impossible. And yet he's calling us to it nonetheless. And I want to ask, and this really is going to set up the whole trajectory for this sermon. Why Jesus call us to this and how? How do we do this? Why does he call us to love our enemies? Number one. And two, how does he enable us to love our enemies? I don't have this power to do this sort of thing. This isn't in me. 
We'll get to those two questions in a moment, but you might actually recall this is this is actually the, my second time dealing with this text. Um, it was back before Easter, so it's been a little bit. Um, but the first part of this uh, message, you could say, I dealt with verses 27 to 31 in particular. Um, now we're going to be moving towards verses 32 to 36 in particular. But before I go there, there's one uh, more thing I wanted to make note of about those opening verses. I want, I want to look into for just a moment, think with you about the nature of this enemy love that we are called to. The nature of this love for enemies that we are supposed to have. Now, I said last time that in verse 27, the first part there, Jesus gives us what I think is kind of the one master principle of this text, namely, love your enemies. But then I said that what follows in the second part of verse 27 and into verse 28 is kind of this fleshing out of that one master principle into three basic expressions. What does um, love for enemies look like? It looks like doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who abuse you. See, Jesus doesn't let us just kind of stay in this realm of love either. What does love actually mean? Oh, I love them. Sure. Well, doing good, blessing, praying for these people that have hurt you so deeply. Now, the point that I want to bring out here is actually quite simple, but it might otherwise escape us. And given the wiles of the flesh, we probably would wiggle out of it unless I bring it to our attention here. When Jesus fleshes out for us what love for enemies looks like, we need to note that these basic expressions are what I would say positively charged. If you don't know what I mean by that, hopefully you will in a moment. When someone hurts you, Okay, certainly we understand that our reactions should not be negatively charged. You with me on that? Meaning kind of the eye for an eye piece. You strike me, I strike you back. That would be a negative charged reaction, right? You speak bad against me, I'm speaking bad against you. That's where we want to go in our fallen nature. We know, okay, that as Christians... That one's not permissible. Now, anybody do that this week? I have. Negative charge, no. But now, think about it for a moment with regard to a neutral charge. That one we might consider a success. What I mean by that is this. Imagine you've been abused. Imagine someone says something to you to get under your skin at work or at home. And you... You don't say anything back. You you, you bite your tongue. You kind of walk away. You know, now you're not loving them and blessing them and praying for them and dreaming of ways to to do good for them. But you're not hurting them either. You know, we would consider that. Oh, man, that's a great victory. And it is a step on the road to success. But that's not Jesus is not going to let us stay there. He's saying, man, we got to go a step further than just kind of the neutral charge reaction. He's saying, I want positive charged reactions. 
I want not just, okay, all right, I'll turn away and grumble to them in my closet. No, I want you to turn towards them, not strike them, but bless them. I want you to love them. I want you to dream of ways you can do good to them. I want you to pray for them. I want you to have them on your heart and bring them to me in your prayers. And that's when we start to go, wow, this is, how many of us have been there? I mean, I've been there for moments. It is a war to stay there for people that hurt you. Can I just say one thing before we move on? You know that you're in a bad place if you can't pray for the person who hurt you. This is one of the things um, sometimes people ask me, you know, how, how do I know if, I, if, I, if I've forgiven this person? Or how do I know if, you know, I, I, before God, I am, I'm actually in the right place with regard to this person? Because the relationship's still a mess, because they're still, they still hate me, don't want to be around me. <laughs> I, I've done my part, but how do I know I've done, I, I'm in the right place in my heart? One of the things I'll say is, well, can you honestly, genuinely pray for them? And I don't just mean, you know, like, you know, the prayers that we sometimes do where it's like, God, change them because I've had enough of their nonsense. You know that prayer? That's not the prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about the prayer that says, God, and we're there on your heart and you love them. And you're broken for the sins, not just because it hurts you, but because it's hurting them. Because you care about God, change them, save them, open up their eyes to you. Use me to do it. Even if another wound has to be inflicted, that sort of prayer. You pray that. You're walking in the positive charge, baby. You're doing the right thing. But it's hard to get there. That's what Jesus is calling us to, though. This positive charge in our reactions. This love for our enemies. And now we have to ask, why? Why, Lord? Why call us to this and to How? How do we do this? So first, why does he call us to love our enemies? Uh, The verses in particular for this, verses 32 through the first part of verse 35. Why does he call us to love our enemies? The reason may surprise you at first, um, but the text is actually unmistakably clear. Jesus calls us to love our enemies Because there is great benefit and reward for us in it. He just says it right there. It's on the surface of the text. And in case you miss it the first time, he says it again. And in case you miss it the second time, he says it again. And in case you miss it the third time, he says it one more time in a different way. (laughs) Loving your enemies. Jesus isn't calling us to just go kamikaze and hurt ourselves. He's actually saying, man, this is for your benefit. I have your good in mind. There's reward here. Let me show this to you in verses 32 through 35. If you love those who love you, he says, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what Benefit is that to you, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what? Now, the the Greek here is the same exact word translated benefit everywhere else. So I don't know why they went with credit there in the ESV. But what benefit is that to you? 
Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. He gives the same rationale three separate times. What benefit is that to you to just love those who love you? Bless those who bless you. Everyone does that. There's no benefit for you there. But then he goes on and gives it a little bit more positive phrasing in verse 35. That's where he kind of brings it home. But love your enemies. Do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Man, that sounds like a bad deal. And your reward will be great. Benefit and reward. And we know regarding this reward in particular, we can connect the dots back up to verse 23, where he was giving those blessings and woes. And we can be sure that this reward he's talking about is the reward that's waiting for us in heaven in the presence of our father. This reward is in heaven, but nonetheless, the logic still stands here. There is no benefit to us, Jesus says, if we don't love our enemies. And there is great benefit and great reward for us if we do. Now, does that surprise anyone here? Does that sound crazy to anyone here that this whole discussion of loving our enemies turns on the issue actually of benefit and reward let me let me tell you why this surprises me i don't suppose i'm any different in this uh, than you guys but perhaps I'm, i'm being vulnerable here oftentimes we do approach our relationships in terms of what will benefit and reward us right we have no problem being friends with those who are going to be friendly with us Typically, we understand this concept of of relationships with one another and conceiving of them in light of how they'll benefit us personally. But the only problem and the surprising thing is, is the way we go about it leads us to the exact opposite from what Jesus is calling us to here. Fleshing this out a little bit more. The whole reason I love those who love me, do good to those who do good to me, and lend to those who will pay me back is because I feel like I benefit from those relationships. I mean, the people he says I'll get no benefit from in the end, those are the people I go to saying I'm going to get benefit from them. (laughs) I like this relationship. It feels good. And the, 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 the reason why, to put it the other way, the reason why we avoid enemies, the reason why we don't want to lend to the people that just keep taking from us or have them over again and they're going to eat more of our food or whatever it is. Man, they never have us over to their house. What's the deal? Yeah. The reason why we kind of avoid these sorts of relationships is because we don't think they'll benefit us. We don't see any payoff in it for us. And yet Jesus says, man, that's where the payoff is. That's where the payoff is. Is loving those people. So it's surprising. And Christ comes to us here in our text and he says, listen, you've got the whole equation backwards. This whole relational equation, you've got it backwards. And the reason why, he says, essentially, is because we have failed to factor eternity into it. 
We're living as if this life is all there is. That it's the here and now. It's the immediate payoff. And therefore, sure, loving those who will love us right back, that will give us what we want now. He's saying, man, but you haven't factored in the, 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 the eternity that spans out from this moment forward forever. And I am telling you, There is more reward in laying your life down for enemies and loving the people that hate you than in just kind of playing tit for tat here on this earth. In your relationships. Because here's the thing, if it's all about the here and now, it makes a lot of sense. Because you've got to keep your reputation, you've got to keep your possessions, you've got to accumulate your stuff, you've got to get your pleasure now. Therefore, you're going to surround yourself with people that help you in this. And you're going to cut out the people that don't. The people that wound you, well, why should I be friends with them? They hurt me. They make me feel bad. They spread gossip about me. I don't need that in my life. I don't need reconcile. I don't want to see them. If it's all about the here and now, that logic makes perfect sense. But if we're spreading this out, Jesus says, man, no, no, no. Listen, in all your attempt at accumulating and securing treasure for yourself here and now, you're actually robbing yourself of treasure there and then in heaven forever. The kind of stuff that that goes on that lasts forever. So no matter how hard it feels today, Jesus is calling us to love our enemies actually for our benefit. He's got the end of the story in view. He's wanting us to have hearts that love the Father more than life itself. So we can love our enemies without regard. Let me say something right here um, just for a moment. I know in this room that there is a lot going on in your life. I know that uh, some of us have hard, hard stuff we're walking through. And if you're not going through it now, chances are you've either just come out of something or you're just about to go into something. This life has fallen. This life is hard. I know that some of us are still waiting for that raise to come. Silicon Valley, you need it desperately. I know that some of us are still waiting for that spouse. Where is he, God? Where is she? I know that some of us are waiting for the lab report to come back. Find out what's wrong with my body. I know that being a mommy is exhausting. I watch my wife every night. I know that being a spouse is trying. I watch my wife every day. I know that people have wounded and hurt you. I know that this place is hard. The here and now is rough. And everything in us wants to try to protect ourselves and preserve ourselves and save ourselves. Let me tell you something. I also know that whatever you're dealing with right now, you are going to be okay. Because I know where Jesus is taking you, taking us. Let me read this to you. This is so beautiful. Just think about this. This is the journey that you and I are on. This is why we can love our enemies, because this is the kind of God we have. John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. So don't you see it? He is the one that's gone before us. He's the one that's taking care of us. He's the reason why we can let go of the things of this world. And we can love the people that hurt us, the people that take from us, the people for whom there's no payoff for us in it. It just feels like, man, it's just hurting me. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going down in the world as I hang out with this person. He's saying, no, 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 listen, I'm the one who's taking you up. So I got that under control. You can let go. You can be free. And I'm just calling you to love. I'm just calling you. I mean, you can, the anxiety, the, 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 the self-preservation, we can, we can stop. Let not your heart be troubled. I know where I'm taking you. (laughs) It's going to be good. There's benefit. There's reward there for you. You could love those who you can't stand. Because we have hope in heaven, we can love our enemies on this earth. You don't have to hold the grudge. You don't have to fight back. Instead, we get a wonderful chance to show them what God and his love is like. And that leads me now to this second question, actually. How does he enable us to love our enemies? How does God enable us, Jesus enable us to do this? Uh, This is verses 35b, the second part there, into verse 36 now. How do we actually become this type of person? Where does the power to live this out actually come from? I've said it already, but let me just be clear. I could tell you straight away, it does not come from you. It does not come from me. It will not come from us. And that's not just me telling you that. That's, that's this text. Jesus is saying that again all over these verses, and I want you to see them. That's kind of the burden of his logic when he keeps repeating another phrase here. Let me show you. He says this, verse 32, even sinners love those who love them. Or verse 33, even sinners do the same. Or verse 34, even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Now, by sinners here, it's just shorthand essentially for men who they are by nature. In their fallen nature, we're just sinners. And he's saying, the kind of love that we typically operate in, the kind of, you know, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine, that sort of a thing, he's saying, that's where everybody's at. Everybody. Not only is there no benefit in that kind of love, there's no requirement for regeneration or the spirit-filled life in that kind of love. Everybody kind of is working on that sort of exchange with one another. There's no power of God there. The flip side of this is to say, essentially, okay. So, wait a minute. If that's how men love by nature, how in the world do we get to what he's calling us to? It's not by nature. 
There's one more thing I wanted to point out, and that's that we typically relate to one another as if we're on a scale. I think that's what he's saying here. By nature, I want you to have this image in your mind, in your relationships. Tell me if it's not true. We typically relate to one another on a scale. You know, he scratched my back. Okay, I'll scratch his. He texted me. Okay, I'll text him back. He says something good about me. I got no problem saying something good about him. Oh, wait a minute. She didn't text me back. Hmm. I'm not going to text her back. Oh, she said what about me? Oh, well, did you know this about her? Oh, this person now hates me. Well, yeah, now she's got an enemy in me. That's for sure. You see, the scale just goes on and on. And what Jesus is calling us to do here is break the scale. Break the scale that we by nature operate on with one another. Now I'm ready to ask that question. So how? Well, the answer is essentially uh, it's quite simple. God breaks the scales for us. God breaks the scales for us. That's the point of the second part of verse 35 into verse 36. Read this with me. You will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. (laughs) Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So, hear this. God calls us to break the scales in our relationships with one another because he has broken the scales in his relationship with us. Did you see it? He's kind to the who? The people who are kind to him? No! The ungrateful and the evil. And he's merciful. Well, mercy by by just the very virtue of the term is given to people who don't deserve it. Mercy breaks the scale. You don't go, hey, I'll give to you what you deserve. That's no longer mercy. Mercy is, man, you hurt me, but I still love you. And that breaks the scale. As Jesus would say in uh, Matthew 5.45, to kind of give even more to this, God makes his son, S-U-N, rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In other words, God doesn't pick favorites, you guys. (laughs) He doesn't kind of choose those whom he's going to love and choose those who he's not interested in for this or that reason. He doesn't give sunshine to those people who said prayers to him the night before and then like bring hailstorms over the people that didn't. He loves, he blesses his creation. He loves his enemies. Now, I wanted to bring this into reality for us. I want you to be able to picture this. Go home with this conception of our God by um, giving you a quick illustration here. I wonder if you've heard of Richard Dawkins. Um, He's essentially one of the preeminent atheists of our day. One of the most outspoken atheists of our day. Well, I was looking at some of the things he said and, and written. Uh, I want to read a few of these lines to you for a moment. And then we're going to think about what I just said about God's love here. This is Richard Dawkins from a few different places. The God of the Old Testament 
is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. A petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. A misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Or, says this, well, presumably what happened to Jesus was what happens to all of us when we die. We decompose. Accounts of Jesus' resurrection and ascension are about as well documented as Jack and the Beanstalk. Or, we cannot, of course, disprove God, just as we can't disprove Thor, fairies, leprechauns, and the flying spaghetti monster. Here's one of the most vitriolic atheists of our day, but here's what I want you to realize. Here's what I want you to understand is happening in Richard Dawkins' life right now. While Dawkins is penning words like these, slanderous things like these, the God whom he is slandering is upholding him is giving him life, is giving him breath, is giving him strength to hold the pen and write another word. That after Richard Dawkins writes words like these, he will walk out of his office and feel the sunshine on his cheek and hear the birds singing in the meadow and go home to his wife, enjoy a glass of wine and a nice steak. And then he'll go to bed and receive the grace of a night of rest so that he can wake up refreshed in the morning to continue blaspheming the very God upon whom he relies for everything. God loves him through it all. Blesses him through it all. Calls to him through it all. Common grace to everyone. Now, did the statements Dawkins made above cause your blood to boil a little bit? They did mine. You're going to talk about my God that way? You're going to talk about about the one who sent his son to die for me that way? You're going to act like there's no evidence for the resurrection? You're going to act like there's no, there's no love in the heart of our Father? What's wrong with you? Jesus, you want me to call down fire from heaven on him? Causes our blood to boil. Let me tell you something. It doesn't cause God's blood to boil in one sense. It causes his blood to be shed. You with me in that? It causes his blood to be shed. Christ comes for the God hating, for the God belittling, for the God slandering. Christ comes for his enemies. It's the reason he came. Who are we to turn in hatred against the ones for whom Christ came? The enemies. 
And Christ would give his life in love for them on the cross. He dies for Dawkins and he dies for you and me. Whether you like it or not, we're included in the same mass of fallen, depraved humanity that Dawkins is. Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Loves his enemies even unto death. Blood's not boiling there. Blood is being poured out for the sins of the world. So God's love breaks the scales. He takes a sinner like me and makes me what you see there in verse 35, a son of the most high. He takes sinners and seats them in the heavenlies with him where he is. That's what he does. His love breaks the scales. And so what, 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 what Jesus is calling us to do here is take that sort of love now and those scales and walk into your relationships, walk into your family room and your workplace and, and, and your church and your neighborhood and operate from that. And just grace coming to you from the Father. And now grace and love coming out to your enemies through us. Mercy Hill, keep the cross ever before you. It's why I said in our covenant membership class, man, I want to be a one-issue church. If we get the cross right at the center, if we get the cross, then every other implication, all that the church ought to be flows out from it. We, We will get that right. And one of those things that flows out from it is we will be a church that loves those who hate us. We will be a church who loves our enemies. People won't say, man, mercy. Oh, you go to mercy. Yeah, I know about them. Yeah, I see them picketing with their signs. I, I, yeah, I've experienced them when I did this or that and they just cut me out for good or whatever. No, oh yeah. Mercy Hill, they're crazy. Those are people of the cross. You can almost see the wounds in their hands and their back. They carry it for this city and this world because their Savior carried it for them. Let me show you, this is how we'll draw things to a close. Let me show you what this kind of love looks like by bringing it into heart-wrenching reality here. There was an article recently in the Washington Post um, about the man whose brutal and mindless murder was recorded and uploaded to Facebook for all to see. You probably heard about this in the news. The long title given to the article reads like this. His murder was put on Facebook, but his family's message of forgiveness could be his legacy. Let me read to you some of the contents of this article. This has happened a few weeks ago on Easter. Sunday. He was walking home from an Easter meal on Sunday when a man walked up to Robert Godwin Sr. and then shot him in the head. No reason as far as you could tell. To add to the horror, the killer recorded the shooting and uploaded it to Facebook. Thousands of people saw the slaying before it was removed over an hour later. The family's grief, particularly that of Godwin's children, was on display too. But so was their love 
In a baffling demonstration of grace, three of his children publicly forgave their father's killer the next day. His daughter, Tanya Godwin Baines, said, Each one of us forgives the killer, the murderer. We want to wrap our arms around him. That sounds crazy until you realize that's what God does with us. Who was Paul but a murderer? And what did Jesus do but wrap his arms around him? How many in death row God would want to do the same with even today? We want to wrap our arms around him, Godwin's son said. I forgive him because we are all sinners. What seemed like an impossible act was the fruit of faith. Our father taught us about God, Godwin Bain said, how to fear God, how to love God, and how to forgive. In the aftermath of his gruesome death, Robert Godwin Sr. is still teaching people about the fear of God and forgiveness, and his audience just got a lot bigger. We forgive him because I'm a sinner forgiven. So this gets real. This gets real. And while maybe the application doesn't get quite as real as it did for his family there, there still is a person I asked you to think about at the beginning of this sermon. Just one. You might have a whole string of people. A list you keep tucked away under your bed of people you'll never forgive. Saying, just take one. And ask God, I want to love like that. I want to love my enemies. I want a positive charge to my reaction. I want there to, I want the scales to be just thrown off because of what you've done. I'm just going to ask you, break out your journal, break out your planner, and, and ask God for one thing. What's one practical way I can love this person? It might be, you know what? I haven't bought her flowers in 10 years. We've just been roommates. We've just been roommates, spouses living like roommates. I'm going to buy flowers for her today. Or you know what? I haven't texted that person. I'm just going to shoot a text. Or it might be, man, maybe you should not uh, contact this individual, depending on what happened to you. But man, maybe you can drop to your knees and genuinely ask God to give you a heart of intercession, a heart to pray for them. God wants to heal us from this sort of stuff. And he wants to benefit us for eternity as we do it. Let me read you uh, just a quick, simple little poem I wrote to kind of summarize and conclude all of this. Hopefully, maybe you find it memorable. Look back and see your Savior's cross where his blood was shed for you. Look forward. And see the place in heaven that he is bringing you to. Look up and see your father's mercies raining down each morning new. Now go, now go look for ways to love your enemies. That they might see these things too. Let's pray. God, we are calling for a miracle. It's no miracle to love those who love us. <laughs> Although sometimes it is. <laughs> it truly is. But God, man, when we feel hurt, when we feel wounded, we need the regenerating activity of the Holy Spirit. We need the new birth. We need the power 
It comes from above because that sort of thing doesn't come from below. God, we thank you that you've come down from heaven, that you came down and walked that life, lived that life, and your spirit is in us now, helping us to do the same. God, we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen.